Habakkuk, chapter 2. Okay, if you've got Habakkuk, chapter 2, you'll see in Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, and that's the verse that um, uh, I was given for this part of our series, Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. So we're going to read Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 and it says this in the second half. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now it doesn't really matter what um, version you've got. You've probably got uh, some marginal revision of that translation, some alternative translation, something like this. Um, Something like this, the righteous shall live by his faithfulness. Now this is the subject today, Jesus is faithful. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being with us thus far in this worship time and we thank you that you're going to be with us now. Lord, translate these words that I speak into something from heaven that touches our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this, this uh, little half verse is actually quoted three times in the New Testament. And uh, we'll get on to that uh, in, a, in a moment. But I just want to say, if you were in that worship time, you've already heard everything. And I stand here gobsmacked and generally awestruck by the fact that in the words of the songs we've sung, I don't think there's anything missed out. So I'll sit down. (laughs) So I said to the Lord, Lord, what is going on? You know, do I preach now? Do I just, what what do I do? Do I intervene and say to Helen, please, Helen, I want to preach now. (laughs) Because it's buzzing in me and buzzing in my heart and my mind. And, um, you know, I just, I just felt, no, let's, let's do it the normal way. So here we are being normal. And that is, of course, our usual thing. And being normal means I've got three points. And I have. So it's a thoroughly normal morning, except I pray it isn't. I pray before I came out this morning will be impacting everybody. See, the difficulty with this verse in Habakkuk and the translation is that it's hard to know what's being talked about. God's faithfulness, our faithfulness, or our faith. And so what I thought we'd do is focus on one of those uh, interpretations of the Old Testament, because Hebrew is quite a dodgy language. I don't know Hebrew, by the way, but I'm told it is quite a dodgy language uh, to translate because sometimes what it's... Uh, the different constructions of the Hebrew letters that make it... Oh, stop nattering. Would you like to turn to Romans chapter 1 now? And in Romans chapter 1, we will catch one of the quotes of this verse. 
So in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, it says, we'll actually start in verse uh, 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. And again we get this marginal thing, or the man who by faith is righteous shall live. The righteous shall live by faith. Okay, so the gospel is an amazing thing, isn't it? It is a statement of what God has done for us who believe. And what he's done for us who who believe is he's made us righteous. We receive righteousness uh, from God. We are viewed as righteous by God because Jesus died on the cross taking our unrighteousness on himself. It's quite a simple idea but incredibly profound in its effect on our lives. We have had our unrighteousness taken from us. It was God's initiative. God takes our unrighteousness, places it on Jesus Christ on the cross, and we receive his righteousness, his righteous life lived, his righteous obedience to God right up to the cross and through the cross and into the resurrection. All that righteousness is applied to us by God. God looks at you as he looks at Jesus. Righteous. But on the cross, there is all this unrighteousness of ours that is put on him. And so when we become a believer, we become a person who is righteous, and it says here, the righteous shall live by faith. Are you living? Can I ask you that? Are you alive? Because, you know, sometimes we wonder, don't we? Are you alive this morning? Is anyone alive this morning? Yes. So if you are alive, you're righteous. And if you are righteous, you'll live by faith. Hmm. But, (laughs) you were waiting for the but, weren't you? But our experience sometimes is that we find faith difficult. Isn't that right? Our experience sometimes is that reaching out for the goodness of God or even seeing the goodness of God in our lives is difficult. Sometimes our lives are uh, encompassed by circumstances that make it incredibly difficult for us to see God in it. And when we don't see God or we don't feel God in our circumstances, then we can begin to doubt. We can doubt all sorts of stuff. We can doubt our salvation. We can doubt God is with us. We can doubt whether it's all true. You know, am I wasting my life believing this stuff? All these sorts of questions can come in your head. 
And I don't want to put more in your head than there already are there. But it's true, isn't it? It is hard sometimes to maintain faith during the circumstances of life. But this, this is the promise of God. The righteous shall live by faith. Well, what is faith? Well, Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us the classic definition of faith, doesn't it? You can probably all quote this to me if you've been a Christian for any length of time. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for. Yep. And the assurance of things hoped for. And the conviction of things not seen. The conviction of things not seen. Your salvation faith is a conviction in things not seen. You haven't seen Jesus. You haven't seen him on the cross. It's part of history. And it's a long time ago. You'd be very, very old if you'd seen Jesus on the cross. It's such a long time ago. But you believe it happened. And not only that it happened, but it had eternal significance for you. You believe that. That is what you believe. But you haven't seen him. But you believe it. And it means that you hope for eternal life. You have a hope. And you're assured in that hope. And you're assured in that hope because the Holy Spirit has come to you and given you new life. And the Holy Spirit says, it's true. And the Holy Spirit stirs you in your heart to know. To know it's true. You've been saved. Your sins are forgiven. You're going to heaven. This is the assurance that comes with rebirth when the Holy Spirit comes to us and gives us God's life to live in us. And that life is full of assurance and hope and full of conviction of what is true. Are you in a position now where you are saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or are circumstances challenging you? We accept that Jesus died on the cross. This is the basis of our salvation. Even to be here, sitting in this room saying, I am born again, is a statement of faith. The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. You have a life to live full of faith. So that's the end of point one. Point two. What is doubt? In our home group, we're doing uh, we're just doing some little Bible studies on James, uh, going through the book of James, and it's an interesting little book. And in James 
chapter 1. Oh, I better find it, haven't I? James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, this is what it says. The living ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, that's fairly heavy, isn't it? A doubter is unstable in all his ways. Do you ever find yourself in that position where you've got faith but you're doubting? You're not sure of what you believe and its impact on your life at the moment because you don't see and you don't feel and you don't experience in earthly terms what is happening supernaturally. What is going on behind it? Even when you doubt, God is working. He is working. Even when you are troubled with doubt, He is working. He is working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. And the cry that comes from doubt is, oh, wasn't Fiona's word amazing? Didn't you think that was amazing? I thought it's particularly amazing as it's better than this preach. I think that it captured for us how we feel. Jesus, how dare you sleep? Do something! Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Jesus, what are you doing? Sleeping. How can you sleep? We're going to die. You're not going to die, I said. We get to the other side. Why didn't you believe me? Oh, but we doubt. We doubt. We become caught up in this challenge that comes. My circumstances as I see them versus my faith in what God can do. My circumstances and how I am pressed by them and what God is doing in my life. What God is up to around me. What God is doing behind the scenes. That's doubt. It's a challenge between these two worldviews, if you like. The worldview we came from, or our humanity, and the worldview that is in heaven and eternal and unchanging. All his thoughts are good for you. Well, how can that be when it looks like this? Well, you don't know what the real good is. Though sometimes we look back, don't we, on our circumstances and we say, goodness, God was at work and I didn't realise it. Now I see. 
And of course, Paul says, when we get to glory, all will be revealed. You know, we will see. We will then know. Do you know, this is a magnificent word. It's in, in Corinthians. He will, we will know fully, even as we are now on this earth, fully known by him. When we get to heaven, we will know fully. When we get into this place of glory, we will see how God was at work in our lives, even in the greatest difficulties. Even when we thought he wasn't listening. Even when we thought he wasn't working. One day we'll see it. And that is a hope, isn't it? That's a faith. So, we can be double-minded, says James, in all our ways. Do you know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of the Old Testament and Elijah. Do you remember Elijah? When he was challenging the prophets of Baal. And he was on this mountain... And there was this big challenge to go on and all the nation is before him on this mountain. They're all looking to see what will happen. Why are they looking to see what will happen? Because they don't know what to think. They have a history with God. But now, these prophets of Baal, these people seem to be In the ascendancy, they seem to be right. We feel they might be right. Is there a God? Well, we have a history with him, but but, 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 is there a God? And Elijah says to them, how long will you go on limping between two opinions? It's a powerful phrase, isn't it? Limping between two opinions. Here is my faith in God. Here is my salvation promise. Here is what I've been standing on through my life. And now, here is what I'm beginning to think. What I'm beginning to doubt. And of course, if you walk in that position, you will... Not walk properly, let's put it that way. Limp. You'll limp along. Something will have priority over the other. And the question is, what is it that's got priority? Is it your experience of God's salvation and goodness in the past in your life? Or is it the doubts you now have? The doubts about it all. What is God doing? Is he really there? Which has priority in your life right now? Does doubt have priority or does faith have priority? What's causing you to limp? How you interpret your circumstances or how God looks at your life? Because we interpret our circumstances all too easily in the light of the atmosphere around us 
in our world today of rationality, of, oh, don't, you don't believe that stuff, do you? So, people are so dismissive. I was going to quote to you from this um, new Brian Cox, Professor Brian Cox's thing on the telly, where basically he introduces the whole television programme by mocking Christianity and the Genesis account of creation. And he mocks it. We don't need this God. We understand it all now. And I just want to explode with anger because you don't understand it. You don't see it. You are limited to your scientific method, to the way you have looked at things yourself with this ignorance, with this opposition to God. I don't want this God. I have sorted this for myself. And that sort of attitude creeps into us as Christians and we begin to doubt. How long will you limp between two opinions, Elijah says? As for me and my house, we're for God. We know God. The light of our life. And so, it's no wonder that another little book in the Bible, which you don't look at very often, in fact, so infrequently I've had to mark it, is Jude. Jude? Is there a Jude in the Bible? Yes, there's a Jude. He's a brother of Jesus in the flesh, as it were. And Jude says this. It is these who cause divisions. In the last times, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Scoffers scoffing at your faith. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. Ah, interesting. Devoid of the Spirit. But the Spirit has given you life. The Spirit speaks to you the words of God. The Spirit educates you in God's ways. The Spirit is with you all times, every day, 24 hours a day. The Spirit is with you. But these people are devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. There it is again. Keep yourselves in the love of God. If you pray in the Spirit and keep yourself in the love of God, therefore, that'll be great, won't it? Waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. His mercy, that leads to eternal life. This is your hope. This is your faith. This is what you live for. And then he says this, and have mercy on those who doubt. Because God has mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt, he says. And this morning, I want to offer you the mercy of God for your doubts. God loves you.
God drew you to himself. God added you to his family. And God has mercy on your doubts. My final point is for us to look at the Easter story. You know that Good Friday? I want you to put yourself in the... Oh, crumbs. I, I want you to put yourself in the position of the disciples. I want you to feel their pain. Here are these guys who Jesus had called. He said, come with me, follow me, I'll give you life. Come, I am the water of life. Come, follow me, be with me. I am the way, the truth and the life. He'd said all these things and they followed him and they'd been with him and some had given up their jobs to be with him for three years and he was their Messiah. He was the one who was going to fulfill all this scripture. He was the one. He was the one! And then he's on the cross. They had no framework for this. They had no understanding of what God was doing. They just saw their vision smashed by the Roman authorities. They just saw their vision dismissed by the Jewish leaders. They just saw everything they had believed and stood for and worked for wiped out. Have mercy on the doubters because they were doubters. They fled in all directions. Only a few remained at the cross. Because God didn't seem to be there. God seemed to have abandoned their Jesus. God seemed to have walked away, turned his back, and indeed, in some ways, he had. But then, their experience said God wasn't there. But we know now, with hindsight, but they didn't have hindsight. They only had future sight. Like today, you only have future sight at the moment through your difficulties, through your doubts, through your circumstances. You only have for, uh, to look forward. You don't have hindsight in days to come. You'll look back on today with hindsight. But at the moment, it is not like that. And you're just like these disciples were at the cross when they walked away and said, oh... Disciples on the Emmaus Road, we had thought that. We thought, we thought, we thought. No, God was doing things in the midst of it all. Oh, we thought he was going to be this. We thought he was going to be... We thought. What are you thinking now in your circumstances? What are you thinking? We thought, they said... Not understanding that God was at work all the time. Not understanding that actually this was God's faithfulness. This was Jesus' faithfulness. He was faithful to the cross. He was faithful to us. He was faithful to God's plan for us. He was faithful in this. 
He took the most horrendous pain and psychological destruction in order that we might live. On the day that we thought God was dead. Oh, it's amazing. Isn't it amazing? And then there's the Saturday. Then there's the middle day. Then there's the day when life went on. As far as they were concerned, life was now going on without Jesus. Some went back to their homes. Some went back to their jobs. Some walked away in despair, not really knowing what to do. There were all sorts of reactions to this. And on Saturday, they had to live through the consequences. They had to get on with life when God seemed absent, when suddenly their dreams were smashed. They had to get on with life. Guys, we have to get on with life sometimes, don't we? Even when we can't see, he's working. Even when we can't see, he's working. Even when we can't feel, he's working. But with hindsight, we know he was still working on the Saturday, but they didn't know that. And so there was doubt. And then, oh, glory be, Easter Sunday, resurrection. He was faithful to his promises. He was faithful. And the result was this glorious, glorious day. He was the firstborn to rise from the dead. The first of many. And we're part of that many. This was his presence being manifested. God's plan being concluded. He was finishing it for us. And this resurrection life demonstrated that all through those difficulties, all through, God had been there. I've got to stop, really, because I'm over time, aren't I? But, 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 I've got to say that we've just been through something of this ourselves in our family, when our little granddaughter was born, <coughs> after horrendously long labour, this little girl was born. And we just were so concerned to get the mother and child home. We were just so thrilled about it all and so desirous to get them home. And I remember Biama phoning me and saying... But um, they had to wait. The, the doctor concerned couldn't make it until later and it probably means that be overnight and another night in the hospital. And I can remember saying to him, oh, for goodness sake, Biama, get on to them. Push them, shove them, do something. Basically, is what I said. Don't let them run all over you. And... Uh, he said, no, 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 I've already started that process. I, I will be chasing it more. 
Well, he couldn't chase it more, and they stayed in. And as a result of that, this, this problem in little Nina's life was discovered. If she'd come home, it would not have been discovered. And so we saw her go off to intensive care units and all the rest of the Biama talked about a couple of Sundays ago. It was incredible. God intervened and I thought I know better than God's intervention. Of course I didn't know it was God's intervention at the time. I just thought it was the NHS as usual, you know, administration. But no, it was God at work saving her life. And when you look at it like that, she could have stayed in hospital for as long. (laughs) I didn't care anymore. God was at work. I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. I actually got cross about it. But God was at work. Well, there we go. I was going to make an appeal, but I think we just need to sing that song again, don't you? I think I've appealed to you enough. If you have had doubts, even this week, that God is not with you, God is not involved in your circumstances, I want to say to you, He loves you. He is involved.